That psalm was based on, I'm, I'm sorry, that song was based on Psalm 4, and we just talked about, in God's love abiding, I have joy and peace, which actually are the first three of the fruits of the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to look at now in the sermon. The fruits of the Spirit, or at least um, peace, number three. So you can turn to Galatians 5. And as always, in these sermons on the fruits of the Spirit, I, I do refer to a lot of other Bible texts. Um, if you ever want any of the other ones I refer to, just let me know, and I can give you a list afterwards. But we're going to start just by reading the, the key text, or the chief text here in Galatians five, twenty-two and 23. And we do need to pray and ask God to bless us as we hear this word and, and uh, as it's preached and as we think about it. Let's pray. Bless us now, dear Father, as your holy and wonderful word is opened before us, about to be read and preached. We pray that your Holy Spirit would break down any walls and barriers in our hearts that we have may, may have set up. We pray that this uh, teaching from Scripture of peace would saturate our hearts and, and we would go understanding a little more of, of the peace that you give people through Christ. So bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we're going to focus on peace, that concept this morning. There's an old sitcom, um, it's called Seinfeld, maybe some of you have heard that, and there's a catchphrase in one of the old episodes, and the catchphrase is serenity now. When I was um, looking at this topic of peace, I'm thinking of synonyms for peace, and tranquility comes to mind, and so on, and serenity comes to mind, and I was thinking about this old sitcom, um, one of the characters' dad, dads named Frank had high blood pressure, and he, he was listening to this motivational tape, cassette tape, that said, if you struggle with anger and high blood pressure, you just have to say serenity now, and it will calm you down. And so there was an argument back and forth in the whole show, whether that actually works or whether it makes you bottle up emotions. And someone ends up actually yelling the phrase in anger, and they say, well, that kind of doesn't make sense, right? Serenity now yelled in anger. So it's, it's kind of a funny comedy skit on serenity now. And, and like I mentioned, that word serenity means calmness and tranquility. And it is related to the word peace when you think about it seriously. What does peace mean? I mean, peace, biblically speaking, of course, is what we want to think about. What does the Bible teach about peace? And it would take, you know, maybe a paragraph to really capture all the nuances of peace in Scripture. We're going to I'm doing a sermon on that. But peace, basically, scripturally, is, is wholeness and soundness and well-being in body, soul, mind, health, and relationships. It's like this holistic peace from every, in every aspect of life. Usually we think of peace as just no fighting or no conflict, but peace has a positive side. Like I said, wholeness and soundness and, and well-being in all aspects of life. The Old Testament word for it is shalom or shakat. Uh, the New Testament word is a rene. So the Bible does talk about peace a lot. 
So we're going to talk about this fruit of the Spirit, peace. And as you probably remember, if you were here for the first couple sermons on the fruit of the Spirit, we have to start with um, the, the fruit of the Spirit in God's characteristic, or as God's characteristic. So we have to start with God when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. So when we talk about uh, this fruit of the Spirit, peace, first let's think about peace with God. That's what we're going to do first. And then we're going to talk about peace within. And then we're going to talk about how that peace with God and peace within flows out in peace with others. So that's kind of how we're going to look at this topic of peace. So when we start by thinking of peace biblically, true, legit peace The best peace is peace with God, the creator and ruler of all things. All true peace, I'm talking about true peace from a biblical perspective, all true peace has God God at its center and as its foundation. But there is a problem. Okay, You can talk about peace with God or peace from God, but the problem is people don't just naturally have peace with God by default. It's not like people are conceived and born and just having a great, peaceful relationship with God by nature. That's not how the Bible talks about it. Not everyone comes into the world as friends of God. I know that's what a lot of people think, right? People in our culture today think just by default, God and us are fine. We're good. You know, there's there's somewhat of a peaceful relationship. As long as we don't mess up too bad, it's all good with us and God. But the Bible paints a very different picture, and experience does too. Of course, the Bible says people are sinful and disobedient to God from conception and birth. Psalm 51 says, I was conceived in sin, I was born in sin. And so we know that people are disobedient from God even when they were little kids. You know that from experience. The Bible even says people by nature are dead in sin, Ephesians 2 spiritually dead in disobedience, and and so people live in sin. Romans and the Psalms say there is none righteous, no, not one. And I don't have to, you know, keep going on, but the Bible teaches that by nature, apart from God's regenerating grace in the heart, by nature, people are sinful and disobedient, and they don't naturally have a peaceful relationship with God because they disobey him and break his laws. And if you're, if you're struggling to think about that biblically, I, I think even if you consider the world and your own experience, you can see that people are very sinful. You don't have to read too many headlines in the newspapers to see straight-up dark evil. Even young kids do terrible things, like terrible things. When I was uh, doing church planning work in, in Washington, I volunteered just for a short time at one of the local um, middle schools, the public school there, uh, to kind of do some kind of mentoring. And I just remember that some of those kids who were, you know, 10, 11, 12, were terribly disobedient, disrespectful. Kids by nature are not awesome and, and perfectly obedient and compliant. And of course, adults. We see even more evil in adults because they have more experience and time and and, um, uh, ways to sin as they grow. Again, think about the the, um, newspaper headings. You you read about the recent terrorist attacks in the Middle East. Terribly savage and brutal. Or you hear about an update about sex trafficking in the cities. 
Again, just terrible wickedness. Or the recent mass shooting. Darkness and evil. That's what the Bible says about people. By nature, they are evil, even from childhood. And we see that in our own experience. And so there's a problem here when you talk about peace. We're not born, people are not born in a peaceful relationship with God because we are, by nature, our lawbreakers, and that makes us enemies of God because of our sin. And that's a sad and tough fact, that sin separates people from God. That sin separates people from God and alienates them. And that should make some sense to you. If someone hates you and lies to you and says terrible things about you and never listens to a word you say, that's not going to be a peaceful relationship, is it? And that's how many people treat God. They disobey him. They don't listen to him. And many people even hate God. There is no peace by nature between man and God. Isaiah 59, the prophet says it very well. Your sinful acts have alienated you from your God. Because of your sins, he has turned away. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies and your mouth spews out corruption. There is no justice among you. Your sin alienates you from God. And that's why the Bible also says in Isaiah, there is no peace for the wicked. When you think about peace, the Bible says there's no peace for the wicked. Romans even says, Paul says, they don't even know the way of peace. So what do we do? Is it a hopeless situation? No, it's not. Thankfully, 1 Corinthians says that God is not a God of disorder and turmoil, but a God of peace. God is a God of peace. We talked about the other fruits. God is a God of love. God is a God who rejoices in his people. And God is a God of peace. That's one of his characteristics, is peace. Remember the whole Gideon story in the Old Testament in Judges 6? You can read about that later if you're not familiar with it. But Gideon built an altar for the Lord, and he called it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. So God is a God of peace. And because God is a God of peace, he has taken steps to make peace with sinful people, even enemies. He's taken the initiative. Because God is gracious and merciful and loving, he has taken steps to make peace with people who are at odds with him. So there is such a thing as true peace with God. Real peace, peace deep inside. Peace that calms hostile hearts. Peace that radiates into the world. There is hope because God is a God of peace. But how does God go about making peace between him and and sinful people who are his enemies? How does God make peace? Through the work of Christ, his son. Romans 5 verse 1. If you have your Bibles handy or open, you can turn there and, and see it yourselves. That's a great text to to meditate on. Romans 5, verse 1. This is a key text this morning. Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through faith in Christ. So God sent his son into the world to make peace with sinful people. So so think about it this way. When Jesus came and lived his perfectly obedient life and died on the cross, that horrible death, he did so for sinful people, people who were even his enemies. And through his death on the cross, he made peace between God and sinful people. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, suffering there, he he was not there because of his own sin and disobedience. He was perfectly righteous, but he hung on the cross and was put to death for sinful people in their place. That's why Isaiah 53 says, the punishment that brought us peace, that brought us peace, was upon him. So Christ's death on the cross secures peace between God and sinners. Remember the Christmas song, that wonderful carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? There's a line in there, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled because of God's son Jesus and his death on the cross. There's no peace if that sin barrier is not removed between God and people. But once that sin barrier is removed by Christ's death on the cross, there can be peace between God and sinners. That's why Paul calls this message in Ephesians 6, it's a gospel of peace. Good news of peace. In fact, the Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, the King who will bring peace to the nations. And remember the the peaceful words that Jesus spoke to his followers in John's Gospel. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace be with you. So yes, there is peace with God, and it's through faith in Christ. God is the great peacemaker. And true peace only comes from God. So we can pause here and think about this. True peace now, biblically speaking, is peace with God, which is a peace that comes from God. The peace that comes from God is a peace with God, and it's all through faith in Christ. And once again, just like I was talking about joy, nothing in this world can give you this kind of peace, true peace, deep in your heart. I've read a couple books on Buddhism. They have their concept of nirvana, if you've heard about that. And if you dig deeply and and look at it, nirvana is really more of an escape from reality than true wholeness and well-being in body and soul and peace with other people. You you can't find true peace in in, the Eastern religions. Some people try to escape conflict and discord with drugs and alcohol. And they might think that when they're, you know, totally blitzed or whatever, they might feel peaceful, but that wears off and leaves them even worse than they were before down a path of destruction. You can't find peace in in alcohol or drugs or anything in this world. It only comes from God. And it only comes through faith in Jesus. Again, that Romans 5 text, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the good news is you don't have to work for this true peace. You don't have to say, okay, I'm going to obey God for 10 years and then I'm going to experience this peace because I will have earned it before him. No, it's a free peace that you get for, you know, for, for free by trusting in Christ. You don't have to work for it or earn it. And so 
When I'm talking about this peace, the peace that sinful people have with God through faith in Christ, this is what we call objective peace because it's outside of us. You know what I mean there? Because of what Christ has done, that relationship, if you have faith in, in Christ, the relationship with, between you and God is objectively a peaceful one because of what Jesus has done. That's true outside of you. It's not just a feeling. It's objective. It's a reality. And so that's an awesome thing to think about. I'm going to talk about it in a moment. You don't always feel at peace inside. But you can remember, if you're a Christian, that because of Christ's death on the cross, you always do have peace with God because Christ's death is always sufficient for you, even when you sin and stumble. If you're a Christian, God is not angry with you. You're at peace. Some Christians need to hear that. Maybe it's you. If you're a believer, God is not angry with you. He's not at odds with you or frustrated with you. He loves you with a steadfast love, the Bible says. And in Christ, you have a peaceful relationship. And the Bible says he even rejoices over his people like a groom rejoices over his bride. And that's an objective peace that's unshakable. It's always true because Christ's death is always sufficient and effective. So that's objective peace. Peace with God through faith in Christ. That's where you start when you talk about this fruit of the Spirit of peace. Peace with God through Christ. But this peace that we have with God through Christ is not just out there, you know, uh, in between us and God, but it's also a subjective peace that, that touches our hearts and minds and souls. You, you, can, you can experience this peace inside, actually. Jerry Bridges, uh, I mentioned his book on fruit of the Spirit, it's very good. He calls it personal peace. This peace that comes from God is a peace in our hearts. It's in our, it's, it, it gives peace to our conscience, even our minds and our relationships and our attitudes and dispositions. It's peace inside. So like I mentioned, here's kind of how it goes. Before someone comes to faith in Christ, before someone's a believer, they don't have peace with God and they don't experience true peace within because they're at odds with God. But once they come to faith, once the Holy Spirit works in a, in a person's heart through the message of the gospel, the Holy Spirit gives a person new life, and that person believes in Christ. He or she is forgiven and justified and adopted. And the Holy Spirit works in a believer's heart and tills the soil of her heart, and fruit grows, like I was mentioning before of love and joy and peace. So the believer can experience peace inside. So when you think about peace inside, it's peace in the heart. Remember what Paul told the Colossians in chapter 3 of his letter to them? He talked about the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This peace with God and from God affects and makes an impression on the core of our being. Deep inside, the Christian knows that he or she is at peace with God. And you even have times in your Christian life where you experience that peace and you know that peace deep inside. It's not just up here in the head, but it penetrates the deepest core of a Christian's being that we have peace with God.
So the believer then enjoys God's peace. It makes life sweet in many ways. The believer loves peace. The believer desires more peace. Peace in heart. But it's also peace in the conscience. So a Christian experiences peace deep within in the center of his or her being. But a Christian's conscience is also pacified or, or experiences this peace. You know what a guilty conscience feels like? I hope you guys know what that is, because if you sometimes feel a guilty conscience, you know your conscience is working. When you do something wrong, you should feel it in a guilty conscience. And for the Christian, the wonderful truth is the blood of Christ soothes the guilty conscience and brings it peace. That's one of the many awesome benefits of following Christ is having a soothed, pacified conscience where you don't always feel guilty because you know Jesus paid for your sin. That's a big blessing of Christianity to have a a conscience that is not always guilty. It's relief from the sense of guilt and shame. It's relief from the sense of God's disfavor. This peace in conscience is a calm and sweet quietness that comes from God's love and forgiveness. If you're a Christian, you know what it means to be forgiven by God and you have that peace in your conscience. It's awesome. And for those of you here who maybe don't know Christ and you're thinking, boy, I would love a peaceful conscience. I I hate agonizing over my, my sins and disobedience. I mean, remember the good news is you can have a peaceful conscience through faith in Christ. You just need to go to him and ask him in faith. So so this peace um, that comes from God through the working of the Spirit, it's peace in heart, peace in conscience. But here's another awesome reality of this peace. It's peace in our minds. Romans 8 is where Paul says, the mind set on the Spirit is peace. So you've probably heard about peace in the heart and peace in the conscience, but what does it mean that you have peace in your mind as a believer? Well, I mean, one thing, you, you, you actually know what true peace means. That's a blessing to actually know true peace, right? To be able to think about what true peace is in Christ. But true peace also affects our minds in a way that you can feel and experience. When God's peace comes to a person and the Holy Spirit works in a person, that person's mind is no longer consumed with hatred and revenge. There's peace in the mind. You don't want revenge anymore. You're not always thinking hateful thoughts towards people because your mind is at peace because the Spirit's working there too. When the peace of Christ affects a person's mind, she enjoys peaceful thoughts. And you can relax at night knowing you're at peace with God. This is a a broad and holistic peace. Like Psalm 4 says, we, we sang it earlier, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you, Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's a robust peace, isn't it? Mind and heart and conscience. And Paul, so so it's even hard to describe this peace, isn't it? I'm just like touching the the surface here, but Paul even in Philippians 4 calls it a, a peace that passes understanding. That's what kind of peace we get with God through Christ. Now, I know that sometimes in the Christian life we don't, experience this peace all the time, or sometimes our peace with God feels like it's a little rocky. 
So just, I just want you to remember the difference between objective peace and subjective peace. Objectively, like I mentioned, you do have peace with God through Christ, and that's, his work is sufficient forever. You have peace with God through Christ. It's, it's a truth, objectively, even if you don't feel it. But sometimes when you do sin and stumble, sometimes when Satan attacks you or, or you're just, your spiritual life is cold, you don't always feel that peace. But when you don't feel that peace, don't doubt it. Remember and go back to the cross and be, remind yourself what Christ did for you to secure that peace. And pray for peace. It's another thing to put on your prayer list. If you don't experience that peace in your heart and in your conscience and in your mind, you can pray for that. Dear God, I've sinned again. Forgive me and restore to me that sense of peace. Or Father, today my heart is a wreck and my thoughts are really bad. Can you calm me with a sense of the peace of Jesus? Those are things you can pray for for yourself. Those are good prayers. Okay, so here's what we've done. We've talked about peace with God and peace within us that comes through faith in Christ. But this peace that we experience also radiates in our relationships so we can make peace and have peace with other people. It's not just in here and between us and God totally private, but this fruit of the Spirit grows in our life and it's on display. So that's why in the Bible it calls Christians to be at peace. Remember Romans 12? I read this for the law section this morning. As much as, 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 or as far as it is possible, live peaceably. Be at peace with all. So it's a delight, isn't it? Peace with God is a delight. But peace is also a duty. We're called to peace. Let me just read a couple different uh, short commands in Scripture. Live in peace. Pursue peace. Seek peace. I didn't read it this morning, but in the text right before the fruits of the Spirit are the works of the flesh. And that list of the works of the flesh is a list of vices that break peace. Like strife and divisions and arguments and anger and fights. God has not called us to do those things. God has not called us to be angry, argumentative people who stir up conflict and strife. But 1 Corinthians 7 says God has called us to peace. So when we enjoy peace with God and peace within, that's a peace that's going to work itself out into our lives. This is where we can talk about being a peacemaker. What did Jesus say about peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers. Christians are not fighters. We should not like conflict. We should not like to argue and bicker and fight and be at odds. I know some people today emphasize, you know, being tough and, you know, strong, whatever, masculine Christians, which is kind of a nebulous term. But whatever you think of that, the call to be tough in a Christian life should never clash with Scripture's call to a loving, peacemaking disposition and attitude. So we're peacemakers 
following in the steps of Jesus, the great peacemaker. We turn the other cheek. We never look for revenge or repay evil for evil, but we pray for our enemies and love them and do what we can as far as possible to make peace. We have a deep desire way inside of us to make peace and not stir up conflict. Maybe some of you are fighters. Maybe some of you like a good gloves-off argument and conflict doesn't bother you. And you call yourself a Christian. Maybe you need Jesus' words to Peter. Put your sword back into its place. Slay your weapons down. Declare a ceasefire. Forfeit the fight. Make peace. So we're called to a peacemaking disposition. And it, it makes sense if you understand the gospel, where Christ actually laid down his life to make peace. We have, we're called to have that kind of disposition, peacemaking. So, so first of all, this peacemaking disposition starts in the church family. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about being salt, remember that? One of the times he told his disciples to be salt, right afterwards he says, and live at peace with each other. Interestingly, we can be salt in this world by living at peace with each other in the church. And Paul talks about peace in Ephesians 2. I won't, uh, you know, read the whole thing. But Paul says in Ephesians 2 that Christ himself is our peace. And when he died on the cross, Jesus broke down that wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile and thus made two, or thus made peace between the two and made them one. So in the church, which should be a place and a people of peace, there is no division between Jew and Gentile because Jesus broke down that wall of division and made peace. So in the church, there is no division between black and white or other ethnicities because Jesus broke down those walls of division and made peace. So in the church, there is no division between male and female. Jesus broke down that wall and made peace. So in the church, there is no division between wealthy and poor because Jesus broke down that wall and made peace. And the list goes on. So Puritan Thomas Watson said, Christ suffered on the cross that he might cement Christians together with his blood. The world is full of hostility and fighting. Isn't it? People are triggered before you can even think of what's going on. There's hatred and conflict and there are bullies who push people around and manipulate people. We live in a hostile world in many ways. And you guys see it in real life. You see it on the internet. You see it maybe among people around you. That should not be true of the church. That should not be true of the church. We should not look like the world in fighting and conflict and disputes and bullying. Paul even called the Galatian church. Um, we didn't read it, but before in chapter 5, Paul says, stop biting and devouring each other. Be at peace. So again, this peacemaking attitude starts in the church. We don't start fires. We put fires out. We don't start 
conflicts, we help finish them in a peacemaking way. So there are some thought questions for you. Once again, if you are at odds with another Christian, what do you got to do? You got to let this text, peacemaking ethos, saturate your heart, and you got to take scripture into account in your own relationships with other Christians. What are you going to do? In fact, this peacemaking ethos also extends to your Christian home, your families, marriages, your relationship with your children and parents. So it's peace in the church, peace in the home. And, and I'll just end with um, peace that, that also is outside the church and with other people in general. Again, I already mentioned Romans 12. We read that. As far as is possible, be at peace with all people. Be at peace with all people. That's a clear teaching in Scripture. And this is for kids and teenagers too, of course. Young adults, kids, be at peace. And again, this is one way to be salt in the world, to be a peacemaker. So, so as Christians, you who, who are professing Christians, when you interact with your neighbor next door or across the street, you should have this peacemaking disposition. If you're at work, you know, dealing with somebody who's kind of hard to deal with, you should have this peacemaking disposition. Be at peace at, among all people as far as is possible at school and elsewhere. Now, there is one caveat. Um, you know, this peacemaking mindset should be, you know, dominant in Christians, but there are times, I just have to mention this so that you don't get in trouble or hurt, there are times in life where you can't make peace with people. You know what I mean? Paul does say, as far as is possible. <laughs> Sometimes it's not possible. Some people are truly evil and might want to hurt you. And it's best not to go around them because you might literally get hurt. You know what I mean? You can pray for those people. And, and in ways that keep in mind your safety, you can show them love. You don't have to say evil things about them or try to get revenge. You know, you can still practice being a peacemaker even if you don't go by someone because they're dangerous. I am specifically thinking about that terrible evil situation if a wife has an abusive husband. It's probably not wise much of the time to try to go to him and make peace because he'll just lose it again and hurt you. That's one of those cases where you have to use some other biblical wisdom and get counsel of friends. Sometimes you have to flee like the Old Testament prophets fled from wicked Jezebel. But let's do a summary briefly. We'll, we'll end it in a second. Um, there's objective peace. Peace with God through faith in Christ. And there's subjective peace within that you can experience. And that kind of peace radiates outward into the church, into the home, and into the world. And I strongly believe that one of the best witnesses of the gospel that we as a church can have and give, one of the best witnesses we can be is to be a people of peace and a place of peace in a hostile world, right? For real. I mean, imagine a story, just pretend, there's a, just pretend there's a woman you know, from the area who has had a terribly tough life. She came from a broken home and just separated from a loser husband who was abusive. And she came here and she heard about peace with God through Christ, and she experienced it. 
And she became part of a, a church family that was a peaceful church family. What a blessing for this woman. And what a light to the world to show what peace is. One of the best gospel witnesses we can have as a church is to be a peacemaking church centered around the peace with God we have through Christ. And so Jesus' example of peacemaking should be on our mind. But remember that Christ didn't just show us the way of peace. He is the way of peace with God. True peace. Lasting peace. Eternal peace. Amen. Let's pray.